0: You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, independent listener supported radio. I'm back. Back in the New York groove. Brian. Scott. I'm back. Yay. Back in the New York groove. (laughs) But man, did you hold down the fort. An hour of solo talk. That's tough.
1: Yeah, it was deeply weird and strange. (laughs) (laughs) As I said to the audience, um,. You know, it would be one thing if you were like in a radio studio, you might feel like a less weird person. But when you're in your bedroom, you know, just talking to yourself for an hour, it starts to feel like a very unusual thing that you're doing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like an hour too. I Last spring, when the pandemic first started, I decided I was going to take up a little podcasting. And you were, you know, kind of busy, like a lot of people adjusting to the new realities. So I did a few solo things on my own. But I think the longest I ever went solo was 12 minutes. And that was like, felt like forever, you know?
1: <laughs> well, that's probably what it felt like to anybody who, who's uh, sorry enough to have listened to it. <laughs> but it's out there and uh, it is what it But glad to have you back. It's nice Thanks. to talk to another person, a little rhythm, you know, it's always good.
0: Yeah, just nothing wrong with a little, little uh, fellowship the oh, back and forth right? <laughs>
1: like when you're playing tennis you know you've got to hit that ball back
0: right uh, well you know and right to be fair if you were playing tennis against me there probably wouldn't be anyone hitting the ball <laughs> and it would be you know a very similar experience to recording by yourself uh so uh it it seems as though so that the the nba trade deadline has come and gone and obviously we have a bit of a Knicks bias on this show and on this podcast, but uh, it, the Knicks we will save for a little bit later on our program because um, a lot of things happened at the trade deadline, but it really felt like it was the arms race that took place in the buyout market uh, that is, is kind of defining what the NBA will be towards the stretch run here of 2021. So your opening thoughts, Brian.
1: Yeah, you're right. It's interesting that there were so many potential trades rumored. And as I mean, that happens in every trade deadline in every sport, like it ends up being far less players actually move in trades because they're probably pretty hard to do. Like, who knows? You know, you got to agree to them. And like, I still would really love I haven't ever really seen anything like deeply reported. on like, what are people doing at the trade deadline? Like what happens? Is it emails? Is it texts? Is it phone calls? Is it zooms? Like eight teams to get like, you know what I mean? Or they just like slipped past each other notes. Like what does it look like?
0: It's gotta be all of the above too, right? Because it's also not just GMs networking. Like if we just focus on the Knicks, I'm sure like worldwide West is, texting and emailing right. you know, on the phone and phone and
1: hangers on and parents and right? yeah like yeah
0: like leon's in the mix brock allers right. in the mix and it's like it's craziness
1: yeah twitter weirdos trying to get you know crumb <laughs> crum- like little crumbles of information like it's just a whole big thing um but yeah i agree with you that like it ended up that the buyout market seems like where that's where the the action really was um at least for this area, you know, and and the feeling now the Nets added Blake Griffin actually like earlier yep. than the deadline. And then LaMarcus Aldridge post deadline and the Nets now the feeling like they're the next latest sort of super team. I gotta say, though, I don't like I'm not like looking at the Nets and being like, oh, this is unfair. They're just putting together this like Monstars team like Blake Griffin's shot yep. and old. LaMarcus Aldridge is also very old. Like, he's a bench player at this. Like, I actually would, was sort of like, maybe the Knicks could get him. We need a backup power forward, you know? Like, it's not yeah. like I was he's really like,
0: disappointed we didn't get him, actually.
1: He, yeah, so it's not like, oh, this super team that they've assembled. Like, I just think their team is, like, sort of lame, you know? I mean, it, I mean, look, good for them. They don't have any fans. It's just this totally contrived situation. And, look, they might win the championship. So I realize, I, as a Knicks fan, I sound like that's pathetic right but i don't really care you know it's like nobody cares it's this weird team it's not going to change anything for any guy if um, if they win it all (laughs) you know what i mean like maybe harden you might think of differently i guess like it could be useful for him but it'll still be have the same thing that durant's going through like it won't vault him over anybody that you know he's a great player now and he'll be a great player after but it won't change your mind about where James Harden ranks in the whatever. That's such a good point.
0: And I feel like that gets so lost. And it's something that people don't talk about enough when they, you know, judging players by championships is such a weird and funny thing, right? Like, because people act like it's the be all end all, unless it doesn't fit the argument that they're trying to make about a particular player. And then it's like, It's all these other factors or whatever. Or like because this person – like Eli is a great example of that, right? It's like people – I love the argument about Eli. Like, well, we're not even talking about Eli for the Hall of Fame if he doesn't have those two Super Bowls. But he has those two – Super, like he has has both the Super Bowls. like what are you talking about?
1: I always hate that, right? If you take away his accomplishments, he really hasn't accomplished anything. It's like, well, that's not how that works.
0: Yeah. (laughs) But then you also have – like guy like, you know, so guys like Eli and even Kevin Durant where the championships they don't really matter. They don't they don't really change. Like, no championships would be held against them, but winning the championships doesn't like put to rest any of the other things that people don't like about a particular player. And so it, it does it does kind of lose all meaning in a sense. Because you're right. No one's opinion of James Harden, will change. I know my opinion of James Harden will change not one iota if he ends his career with a championship or not.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like the NBA. It's all really tricky, right? Because it's like we have teams in history that we look at. We don't we look don't think back on like they were a super team, but it's like the Lakers and the Celtics of the 80s. You know, it's like they were loaded with Hall of Famers, you yeah. know, but it doesn't change how you feel about Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. Nobody's like, oh, look at all these great players they played with because it was kind of the era of they played against other teams that were similarly stacked and they beat each other up and so that's okay, right? But there is something like very special about being an NBA player who's the best player on a championship team. Like that means something, you know? Yes. And who else is on that team? Like how it you know, it is how we evaluate these guys. And Kevin Durant is like this interesting case where he definitely thought going to Golden State and winning these titles was going to like vault him into this different stratosphere. But the way it happened, like it just didn't work out that way for him. And everybody still says he's a great player. You're still talking about one of the single best players to ever play, but it didn't put him up there with LeBron and, um, and, and the guy who benefits who's weirdly, who like both started this thing and now has benefited the most from the way it played out is LeBron. Yep. <laughs> who has become, it's like his hero's journey, you know, like he goes to Miami and takes his talents to South beach and everybody hates it and thinks it's horrible. And he joins forces with these two other dudes and creates this thing. But what LeBron did, the 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 secret weapon for LeBron is one, his first year he lost. Yeah. Yeah embarrassingly and gave it all to us. We all got to just throw it in his face and put it in his face. And he lost to this team with like Dirk Nowitzki, who was like, you know, a drafted player built. That team was sort of built the right way with like savvy veteran pickups and mixture of young and old. You know what I mean? Like, and everyone loved that team and they stuck it to the heat (laughs) and he had to eat it. We all got to revel in it and enjoy it. And then he wins the two championships, you know, in kind of exciting fashion, sort of seemingly, overcome something to do it goes back to Cleveland where he you know if he if he didn't bring Cleveland a championship his career would be thought of so much so if he had retired without that forget it
0: you cannot overstate the importance of going back there and winning a championship you just cannot it was right but he doesn't just
1: do it he goes back and he gives them a a top a pantheon championship right that one matters more than others we're going to remember that one forever you built, beat a 73 win team down 3-1 the block the whole thing right the game
0: winning block not even a game winning shot the game winning block it just could not have been better
1: right so then he beats them they respond by getting kevin durant kevin durant has this whole heel turn where he'd been this beloved figure. No one ever criticized him ever. Now he's this perfect foil to LeBron who goes and joins this, like this super, you know, this literal super team to beat LeBron. LeBron loses twice to them, but actually like is elevated, you know, in the process because of how well he played and how, you know, the surround his supporting cast got worse. And he like, you know what I mean? It's like elevates him. So then LeBron, he gets to do whatever he wants now. He goes to L.A. and he brings in Anthony Davis, but no no one thinks of it. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. and, and Durant, if anybody was going to criticize LeBron, he goes to Brooklyn and has now created this, like, even grosser situation that, like, <laughs> LeBron looks like the guy, you know what I mean? So it's, like, it, the way the NBA, it almost feels rigged, like, scripted <laughs> right. to, to, as this hero's journey to, like, LeBron is the main character of the NBA of the last 10 years. I think that's fair to say. And it, like, almost feels scripted to have him, like, leave as – you know what I mean? Like, it's just this perfect narrative of his career.
0: Yeah, and it's it's really excellent. I think, too, you have to think about it, like – I, I just think it's also how the how Kevin Durant if if like you know because this is great we're revisiting the or- origin story of both players to right. a large degree <laughs> right so LeBron it, it's really ultimately with the two of those guys it's about how they processed the vitriol directed at them from their uh like their second team that they played for because You know, arguably, I think you you said it right. What what LeBron did was so much worse. It was so cruel. Yeah, that was terrible. That was so bad. I was out. First of all, you know, I hate Cleveland. Just because, as everybody who listens to our show knows, I went to Ohio State and— you know, not being from the state of Ohio myself, you go there and you just realize that the love for Cleveland, Ohio is so beyond obnoxious. It's the thing that I can connect to when people talk about how insufferable Buckeye fans are. I get it to the extent where this that must be to other people how I experience other Buckeye fans acting about Cleveland. Like right. I think I mentioned once on the pod before, too, that like, like, a lot of people I knew from Cleveland thought that Major League was nonfiction. Like they, <laughs> when I moved out there, they and they people just so thought I was a Yankee fan. They were like, "Oh well, like you know the Yankees Indians rivalry." And I was like, "What rivalry are you talking right. about? Like you know, Major League, clue like not right. real, didn't happen." A movie, never. Right. We never faced each other in an important <laughs> game ever. <laughs> right. But so, um, but so like LeBron just, just stabs them in the heart while yeah, he yeah. looks at them, and then is like, "What you know?" Right. Uh but you're right. They lost and it gave ev- it let everybody kind of get it out of their system of like that was wrong, you yeah. know? And it allowed us to do that, but it was also how he processed it and he like Durant just got so much more resentful of like how dare everyone be so angry at me and right. that that resentment never brought him to a place where he was able to foster that goodwill again like you go from first of all too Right, you go to Golden State, and that makes you and Golden State like hated, and that somehow your demise there begins with kind of a messy on-court fight with Draymond Green. Who who likes Draymond Green outside of Golden State? Like you manage right. to make yourself the bad guy with Draymond Green. Right, and then you choose Brooklyn, like the Brooklyn Nets. Like you said, you choose a team with no fan base at all. Right, like <laughs> none
1: right right you know? no one like yeah no one's now invested in you redeeming yourself right nobody yeah
0: nobody i mean i would say i've met a handful of people who claim to like the nets but like they're just people who love the knicks and don't have an issue with the nets being here right there's but there's nobody out there that's like i am a nets fan first and foremost i have zero allegiance to the knicks this is where my like those people don't exist yeah yeah and if they do they're like
1: come on it's like maybe there's some new york transplants who like came here you know and obviously the knicks have been so bad who now are like it's hip or whatever but even hasn't like like the nets did everything right sort of from a branding whatever standpoint to make themselves potentially cool and like it still just hasn't really happened like and even now, like with this team they've assembled, like you just don't. I mean, look, I don't know. I'm not around the city anymore because of the pandemic, obviously. But like you just, there's no feel, right? Like, just follow the back pages. Like I, like Emmanuel quickly has been on more back pages than James Harden has. You know, like yeah,
0: I look, there's just no juice. Yeah, I live in Brooklyn, and yeah, I'm not like as out and about as I probably would have been around this time a year ago. But I think a great example is my father-in-law. You know, my father-in-law. I think, like, he lived in Puerto Rico for maybe a year or two, but the rest of his life he's lived in Brooklyn his whole life. And when the Nets came, he was excited and he was like, no, I'm going to root for them. Like, I've lived in Brooklyn my whole life, and this is the first time in my life that there's been a team for Brooklyn. I'm not going to not root for them. But he loves the Knicks. You know what I mean? Like, he's just, like, okay with the Nets yeah. Yeah. Being like, here. Right. And that's I think that's the best they can do. And even like you're saying with the transplants, like they're not people that we take seriously. They're not right. like <laughs> they're not like real people, they're, right. you know, whatever. You can't come here and then root for the Nets. That doesn't exist. But yeah, you're exactly right. There's no juice. It's it's sort of like to uh, I think the week we had Matt on. And, and this is something I want to talk about later. But, you know, I, back when we had Matt on that time, it wasn't – I just wasn't in love with Randall yet, and and you guys were like, why? Like, what's – and it's just like – because you just can't control when right. you fall in love. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, like, <laughs> you're right. They did everything right from a branding perspective. Their, their arena is in a cool spot. They have cool colors and uniforms. They yeah. have, like, Jay-Z at courtside at the beginning. Like, they did everything right, and right. now they have an awesome team. Yeah. No one cares.
1: And it's still like the Knicks are 23 and 22. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Who cares? And they've actually set themselves up as this perfect foil to us where it's like, screw them. We're going to build something even better. that's like more fun. But it almost feels like the league is like the WWE where it is like it's been scripted <laughs> to set up like, how could we turn LeBron into like a likable sort of like relatable figure and it's like create this super hateable super team for his and suddenly he and anthony davis look like the more honorable thing yeah (laughs) versus this Kyrie james harden you know and like suddenly they're gonna meet up in the finals and you're gonna be rooting for lebron
0: right well it's just funny too because you know right i mean anthony davis and lebron to an extent are like just you know lightly buttered toast as as like people
1: you know from Anthony Davis has no personality I feel like LeBron has a very big presence
0: no and that's not really how I mean it I guess it's more like he's like a he has a presence certainly he has a personality uh but he's not like I don't even know he's just like kind of not uh I don't know what I'm looking for but there's just something about Durant, Harden, and Kyrie like all of them some they're just drama lebron is right like, right b- aside from the decision it's just drama free for the right. most part or like,
1: has been for like since that cleveland title i think he's just yeah. kind of rolled along like everybody respects him now he's like there's not a lot of stuff to really you know i mean, he, he's still certainly like he's taking political stances like he's uh div- um i don't want to say divisive but there's certainly plenty of people who still don't like lebron but they're Correct. they're they're much quieter you know, like, there's not this, like, overwhelming sense of, uh, you know what I mean, hate that he's dealing with. Like, well, he's as respected as you can get, I think. Yeah, I also
0: athlete. I also think, like, people who, who really hate LeBron, it's not about LeBron. It's about about the person. It's about right. – something about LeBron makes you hate him because you have kind of an issue with yourself. Yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah. Whereas I think, like, with Durant, Harden, and Kyrie – you like a reasonable person can take legitimate issue with all three guys that are like absent of your own personal issues.
1: Right. And just as players too, like I just feel like LeBron at this point, like what are you really like saying about LeBron? You know, like he's kind of answered every critic, like, yeah, you know, it's just like, so, but, and then, so now he kind of gets to take these free swings at this team where if he loses, you know, it doesn't really diminish him because he'll probably play heroically, you know what I mean, yeah. battling them. And if he wins, I mean, if he wins, it'll just elevate his legacy. to Oh, my God, he even beat these guys and it'll ruin them even more. <laughs> but <laughs> right. if he loses, it's like, oh, look what they had to do to beat him. They had to like it, the only thing that could beat him was eight of the best players in the world joining forces you know what i mean so it's just like it's remarkable to me the way this narrative has shaped and it feels scripted it really like i don't know it's like some kind of like it feels written
0: absolutely like particularly the blake griffin thing it is just so funny because like again i don't really have a problem with blake griffin but he's a guy with just some weird personality baggage yeah like brooklyn is like the weird personality baggage team and so right. of course they're the villains and they wear black and white like come on yeah yeah i know you know you're so right it just is it's like the yellow and the purple against the black and white like right. la brooklyn right right, right. right.
1: right. i know it's so funny man i don't know anyway screw them <laughs>
0: right. all of them frankly
1: right. all of them I know they're so good and it's amazing and whatever nobody's enjoying it
0: also it's really true it's about how LeBron has played it but he's no better in all honesty like he is but he's also not like he engineered you know he held Cleveland look the difference too between Durant and LeBron is that LeBron kind of made sure that he would have control over his situation all the time. And then he got to call the shots and he got to blame who he want and whatever. Like Durant jumped ship to go to the super team and he got his rings and he was the best player. But Durant wasn't running the show at Golden State. You know, and I guess LeBron didn't either in Miami because you had Pat Riley there and, and, you know, that he went into Wade's situation. But once LeBron went back to Cleveland, like LeBron always kind of, With the way he structured his contracts and the short deals, like LeBron always made sure that he was holding a significant amount of leverage over everybody. And I think, you know, he went to LA with similar types of assurances. And then, you know, sure enough, like Anthony Davis signs with lebron's best friends agency and then he ends up in la like lebron was not, not involved
1: yeah yeah i guess i just always have looked at lebron like when he was in cleveland man he dragged like the worst supporting cast to finals yeah and he was gonna just run into that wall they they had no way to get better they didn't have like a great front office he couldn't waste any more time he had to win championships so like he was not surrounded by great players he went and found that perfect situation for himself in miami like you can criticize it, I get, but the reason for me that Durant, it's like, and I look, I don't like care, I don't really fault the guy, whatever, I get it, but it's like Durant is sitting there, he's got Russell Westbrook as his teammate, who wins the MVP the next year that he leaves, so like, he's got good teammates, you know, right. what I mean they had really good pieces, they they had traded for Oladipo that year, um you know they had good supporting cast he's in the western conference finals with a 3-1 lead blows it and then goes to the team that beat him like if he had even wanted to leave and been like you know look i feel like we've our run is over here we've gone as far as we could you know like and and go to a spot with like other good players that's okay like you everyone needs great teammates you can't but it's just like man oh man you know like to go and then expect no backlash from it and seemingly be so shocked that anybody like it's like did you see what happened with the decision went down like and that was like more defensible to me so it's like come on you know i don't know
0: well and again you know like you said it what it really boils down to is lebron got his comeuppance we all got to let go of it Right. Because we got to see his defeat. Durant goes yeah. there and then they just dominate. And yeah. It's like, oh, right. you know, right? like there's no right. vengeance there. No. And,
1: and he seemingly, you know, he's helps them on the court. Of course, he's a big part of why they win two more championships, but he seemingly spoils the, the chemistry and the fun that they were having. And it ends with Draymond Green, you know, saying to him, you're a bitch and you know, you are. <laughs> And we won without you. And Durant having no reply. And like then that relate. you know, I mean, like it ended ugly. So it's just like yeah. it wasn't this triumphant thing of like elevate. It just kind of is going to be this weird mark on his career. Like how do Golden State fans feel? I guarantee you they like Draymond Green more than they like Kevin Durant in in Golden State arenas. You know, like so I don't know. It's just a fascinating uh this arc of the whole thing I find really interesting
0: for sure. All right, Brian, you are listening to radio free Brooklyn, independent listener supported radio radio free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air, support independent community media by pledging whatever you can. All contributions are tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law, Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org/slash/donate. Brian, our our sweet, sweet, our sweet, sweet man, Mitchell Robinson. <laughs> He's unwell.
1: I know. I'm so sad.
0: Yeah. Like it right stinks. the day after too, uh, Drummond signs with the Lakers, <laughs> which of course I'm fine with. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It sucks. It but it was suddenly
1: like you suddenly were like, "Wait,
0: Andre, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> forget what we said." Right.
1: <laughs> even though I I don't think I still don't think he's the right even replacement in that situation. Uh, agree. Agreed. But you know the thing that stinks about the Mitchell Robinson injury is like one I really like him. He's been this bright spot for a few years now. Yeah. And it was fun. It would have been really fun to see him on this good team and and have this good role. And I and I do think we miss we're going to miss him a lot. But it's like Noel does a really good impression of him and is re- I really like a lot. And he's, you know, and, and Taj, I like too. So, like, we're still good at center. But, like, I just do feel like this, the Mitch injury, having him not the whole year, it just lowers our ceiling. Sure. And once we, if we actually, if we do get in the playoff or the play-in, like, we'll miss him a lot. You know, I think in a, I think in a playoff series where we're really going to miss him if we actually made one and where it, it, it's going to make us less competitive. Like, he's just such a force on the offensive glass. Like, he's everywhere on defense, you know. Like, um, it's just funny because Noel's played so well when he's not in there. And yet, as soon as he was back, you were like, oh, wow. You know, like, <laughs> he's just so much bigger. And, and
0: stronger, yeah. Yeah,
1: he's yeah. such a problem. And especially, I feel like, on the offensive end, like – you know, he's got much better hands than Noel. Like, that's the one complaint I have in Noel is, <laughs> like, he's got the most <laughs> butterfingers I've ever seen. And, you know, Mitch throws everything down, and he's really active on the offensive glass, and, like, it's just a bummer.
0: Yeah, when Noel tries to do anything offensively, he's, he's so clearly unsure of himself. Yeah, and... he
1: does have that little jump shot that Mitch doesn't really have, which is nice, but it's not – he makes, what, one a month or something? So it's not really, like <laughs> –
0: Right, and even before he takes that, it's almost like he's looking around. It's like, is everyone cool with this before, before I do this? Are we all okay? Is
1: anything else possible, or is this the only option? Right, I'm thinking about shooting it. <laughs> what do you guys think? What do you guys
0: think? Should I do it?
1: Yeah, go for it. I guess. All right, I'm gonna do it. That's I know. So true.
0: I know. So yeah, like right. I think it's it's. In, in one sense we're lucky that we actually have two other quality centers on the roster but you know it's a tough loss mitch is so good
1: yeah, and complicated you know I don't know now like he's, he's what set he's got this team option for one it's all com- very <laughs> very complicated the NBA salary cap but he has a team option for 1.8 million he could become an un He could become a restricted free agent or an unrestricted free agent, or they could offer him some kind of like extension at 10 million a year or something like that.
0: Yeah. Or they could like, they could do a couple of wink, wink moves where they could structure his contract where it's like they pay him a lot and then they don't pay him as much later or I don't know. Uh, Jonathan Macri actually does a really great job of summarizing the three uh scenarios that we face with mitch's contract i think that the my general takeaway is is that all of them are fairly favorable to us yeah like and i just think what it'll boil down to is does mitch want to be a nick or is somebody going to be able to lure him away i just think that it's sort of senseless to worry about you know like he's a weird guy I don't know what his decision-making process is. I think it's really hard to predict. I think it's hard, it's difficult to tell who is influencing him and how much like he feels like he's in control of his own destiny. I just think ultimately it's gonna boil down to Mitch. Like I think we could play it absolutely perfectly with how we handle his contract situation, offer him exactly the right amount, like do the best job we can, and it could still just come down to like Mitch wants to just go somewhere else for whatever Mitch reasons that he has
1: yeah or how, how he views himself I don't I don't really I'm not totally clear on like yeah I agree when I look at all the options they all looked pretty appealing like yeah it seems like we hold a lot of cards I'd love to keep him like you know even someone was talking about it was like three years 40 million like that doesn't seem unreasonable for him I think he's really good yeah um, I like him a lot like I'd love to have him as the center for, as we go forward here but, you know, they also seem like, you know, if they see better options for that money, like, they could do that, too. Like, so, um, yeah, it's like it's a really short term bummer. I, I, my sense is it doesn't change too much even about what how they were going to proceed.
0: Right. I just think that there is, you know, and like our buddy, our friend of the friend of the program, Matt, is always super concerned. He falls into this bucket. But I just think there are a lot of people out there that are hyper concerned about Mitch and the contract and like, you know, what are we going to do about Mitch? But it's just like, it seems to me just senseless to worry about. Like we have a really good amount of leverage in almost like any number of scenarios. We hold really good leverage over Mitch, but he still might leave. So you just like, you know, yeah I
1: think the issue is like you don't want to pay him too much it's hard to evaluate value centers right now and if you don't want to pay him you could potentially he's still got enough value that you could use him to get somebody you know so suddenly if you if he becomes a trade chip he's a guy that maybe lures that top free you know top guy that we're 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 all chasing yeah um even though I personally don't care that much i I'm like Everybody, the NBA, I know you got to have stars. I know you got to have stars. Whatever, you got to get them. You got to get one. Of these. I'm like, I like the team we have and I'm. they're going to get better. And I'm okay. Like, it's not the end of the world to be like the fourth seed for a few years. It sounds right. fun to me. Like, <laughs> it's not like quick, Bradley Beal. Like, I, okay, that'd be nice. I get it. It's okay to just be pretty good, too.
0: Yeah, and love the players on your team.
1: Love the team, and they're getting better, they're growing, they're young, it's fun.
0: Right. I mean, right, if we drop it like depends on the guy you dropped in, but if if all of a sudden Kyrie was a Nick, yes, he would be the best player on the team. I don't like Kyrie. And
1: right. I would not
0: like Him on the team, and it would take me a long time to get comfortable with that.
1: Right, right. I probably would eventually. I'd just be like, okay, here we go again. Another guy I don't like that I have to root for and suck it up. But it's like I'm not desperate to get that star player in here right now. Like, this is – they got a good thing going.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I I just – I don't see the point in worrying about Mitch or – our future roster like we're in a playoff hunt right now and our roster is the roster that we have so let's just love these guys to the fullest extent of love <laughs> that's how i feel
1: <laughs> no i agree it's fun i'm mean, so this is so exciting it's so fun man like every nick game i'm it's like appointment viewing i like, still can't believe it i know and you know they're getting better i think you know, my man Tibbs is slowly, slowly, ever so slowly adjusting to things. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he's can still be frustrating some nights, but he's getting there. I think by the end of the year, we're going to be where, where we need to be from a, a roster standpoint and minutes div- div- divided up. But uh,
0: you were very unhappy with the Heat game last night.
1: Well, I was just, I, to me, I think we're good enough where we can be like, that was an unacceptable performance. Yeah. They should have played better. They should have won that game. They really didn't play well. I Look, I don't want to go in, off on a whole Alfred Payton tangent, but I really... And, he, and he, look, he played him 19 minutes last night. He played him 15 minutes the night before. But he's still starting him, and it's just like Tibbs. It's done. He's not good. He's really... <laughs> I think he's really hurting us. Like, I just really do. Um, you know, he, he's like he makes these nice drives to basket, but he rarely finishes Yeah, and he never finds anybody. Like there's always guys where you're like, RJ is like standing on the wing, like wide open. He just doesn't seem to have any vision. Yeah. Um. So anyway, I don't want to get into a whole thing about him, but I like, and, and, you know, I think Tibbs is getting there. He's just, I'm sure he has his reasons about why he's trying to do it the way that he's doing it. You know what I mean? I think he, he probably has a method to how he's trying to wean us off that alfred payton narcotic but um, you know i think to me like a band-aid just right off but you know that's not how he's gonna do it but yeah it's it's coming you know
0: yeah and i you know i mean it could be like <laughs> Derek rose has been remarkably good for a guy who just had covid yeah you know
1: well that's the part of really weird is like there's Derek rose who's like your guy who is alfred payton only good like he drives, but he lays it in the basket. Right. <laughs> he, he's not a good three-point shooter, but he can hit three-pointers. He, you know, like, gets to the line. Like, he's a decent passer. Like, he's not yeah. – he, maybe he doesn't always uh, – not the facilitator you'd like him to be sometimes, but he's, like – he's better than Peyton is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he'll find guys. So, it's like, then it becomes really weird. Yeah. I well, think he maybe he loves that quickly Rose connection – could be
0: but yeah but even that know. connection is like like we you know they're not so good together we have to keep them together <laughs> right right yeah yeah i i do think probably tibbs is is just like kicking the tires on rose from covid and then once he feels more confident i think he's i think you're probably right yeah, yeah. i hope so i think he's ready um and then, and then, yeah, we'll probably get more quickly. Although Frank has been conspicuously absent for the last two games.
1: Yeah, yes, he's not. He's back in the, you know, the situational doghouse. And I like that quickly, Frank backcourt. Like that's the role. I like that. Um, you know, more. You don't want any more than that from Frank. But I like <laughs> it. I like him in that role. Yeah. So, I hope he goes back to that.
0: Yep. Obi, show a little life.
1: A little oh, bit. He right.
0: did a thing. He did a thing. He did right. <laughs> he almost did two things.
1: Right. He did a thing. He took the ball and he dribbled with it and <laughs>
0: aggressively. And yeah, it scored. It scored. I think that to to steal a line from one of our our shared favorite films, the Forty Year Old Virgin, and I'm not going to say the line, but I think that Obi has been putting. The you know what on a pedestal, and and I don't mean it in the sense of actual like his relationship with with women. I'm talking about just whatever, like whatever it is. He has made this into a much bigger thing than it is, and that's also like insultingly minimizing the fact that like oh he's making such a big deal out of his NBA rookie season. (laughs) Of course he is, (laughs) right? But I think he has. I, I do think that like. He can't be as bad as he's been. He can't actually be that bad. I think right. that he has, like, really psyched himself out, really dramatically lost confidence. I don't see why it's like – I don't see – I mean, they, I do think that they think he's been not bad in practice or not nearly as bad in practice as he has been in games. Like, I think it's there's a possibility there. I, I'm coming around to it a little bit is that stupid that maybe he's
1: been good in practice
0: right or that maybe he's not quite the disaster he seemed to be
1: yeah i don't know i mean i'm not ready to say obi Toppin will never be a good nba player but he's shown nothing Right, nothing makes me think that he will be one either like he has not had i mean that he had a good five minutes the other day sort of <laughs> you know
0: Right. Sort of. Sort
1: of is right. Yeah. Sort of like, you know, and I mean, look, I don't blame them for just keeping him in there. Like. I know some people would like to see Knox, you know, look like that heat game, that second half, that might have been an opportunity. They were playing a zone against us like maybe that's an opportunity where you play Kevin Knox because he can shoot three pointers, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, again, I, I don't it's probably not worth it. He's not good either. Um, but Obi, <laughs> he's just been... I don't know. He's been so bad.
0: Yeah, he's terrible.
1: <laughs> he's been so bad.
0: Knox is just... He's a mystery. He's a mystery to me. I don't understand... I get all the arguments that people have for why he should play. I—I None of that is lost on me, and I don't necessarily disagree with any of it. I just think if he's not playing... He has plenty of cheerleaders. Like this is we we've made the jokes about how we're Kentucky. You know we're the pro Kentucky. We got Wes. We got uh, what's his name that didn't leave for DePaul, thankfully. Uh, Yeah, I know
1: you're talking about, but I've lost. Kenny Payne. Kenny (laughs) Kenny Payne. Payne. Yeah, like
0: you know we got Worldwide West. We got Kenny Payne. uh, You know like Nerland's Noel Randall quickly like all these players that are Kentucky guys you know like all played for Calipari you know
1: I don't think it's like a conspiracy against him it's just like you know it's either one they're flawed and you know he's choosing one flawed player over the other and maybe it should be the vice versa but I mean it's not I get it's not like how is it possible that you're choosing Obi Toppin over Kevin Knox I'm just a little surprised. Like he did it that one game, right, where he played Obi in the yeah. first half, and Obi played well, and then he played Knox in the second half, and Knox played okay. I'm surprised he hasn't done that a few more times. It's like my only.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just I, right. I I agree with that. I think that I think though that there is a large contingent of Knox supporters that have tricked themselves into thinking that Knox is better than he is because of their reaction to Obi Toppin.
1: Yeah, that's probably true.
0: Um, uh, because Knox is nothing special, and like yeah, he comes in occasionally, and hits a three, and everyone's like, "You see?" And it's like, yeah, yeah, all right.
1: But he never hits another one, you know. I right. feel like he always hits one, and then it's like the next one he bricks, and you're like, Pff. "There's no no momentum." Right. Know? Right. <laughs> anyway, yeah.
0: So, uh, all right, let me get another read in here. Uh, if you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of her computer, as I do most often. Please consider downloading our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming RFB events. You can sign up at slash newsletter. All right, Brian. Uh, free agency for the Giants has come and gone. The Giants uh, began in cap hell, and then spent $200 million in free agency. (laughs) So, I mean, the cap, and really, the cap in all sports is just, it's meaningless. Like, what is the cap? It's It's just this
1: annoying impediment that these teams have put in front of themselves to keep salaries down. (laughs) Yeah. They only utilize it when they don't want to It only matters when they don't want to pay somebody.
0: Exactly. When
1: they do, it doesn't. They can figure it out. <laughs> they, they figure
0: it out. They restructure it, and they do all these yeah. other tricks and whatever. Like yeah. we, we couldn't sign anyone. And then the next day, or the next like consecutive days, right. we ended up spending two hundred million dollars. We went on a spending spree. <laughs> yeah. How, like, how is that? I don't know. And of course, it was all bundled up in the whole Leonard Williams fiasco.
1: Right. Well, that was the first domino. And then it went ding, 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 ding.
0: Right. Right. (laughs) I don't blame Leonard Williams for the record. But
1: as we emerge from the free agency rubble of the Giants, have you changed your emotional feeling about what you're expecting to see? Are you excited about the Giants?
0: I am not excited, but I know that I am sitting on a dangerous slope where it's not that steep yet, but I'm like slowly building a little bit of momentum. And then I'm going to hit this steep part around July and I'm going to be like, like ready to go. So here's where I see the positives to it. I think that. I do think that the addition of Galladay, like, first of all, I don't even want to get into what we paid anybody. If you want to know what we paid somebody, go look it up. I don't care what we paid anybody. It's not my money. And I already think the cap is meaningless in the future. If we want somebody, we'll figure out a way to pay for them. And if we don't want somebody, we'll pretend that we don't have the money to pay them. It's all fictional as far as I'm concerned.
1: Everybody, everyone says everybody's overpaid. I was listening to like the athletic football show and I like those guys. They do a great job every signing, even the ones they like. They're like, look, they paid too much for him. What does that mean? Right. You like the guy. They needed him. They paid him. (laughs) Right. They're valuable people. They're worth a lot of money. I'm so sick of it. Every person, other well, they overpaid. It's like, says who?
0: Right, and you hear a lot of talk like that. People extend that talk into their regular lives. Like, you know what? I pay for everything that I buy what it costs.
1: Right, and more if, than I want to. Right,
0: always, <laughs> right. always
1: like a little more than I think I should. Right, always. Right, that's what. That's how it is. But
0: you pay that because that's what it costs.
1: Like, and that's and you want it enough that it
0: that you pay it. Right absolutely it's so ridiculous so I don't care what anybody is getting paid except if the Giants get to do it I do too I don't care what anyone's getting paid until I don't like that player and then I'm going to care about what they're getting paid right But, (laughs) but until that time right now I don't care what anybody's getting paid I don't care how much we paid Kenny Galladay I think that I think that the Galladay like okay here's what I don't like I think that Galladay and Rudolph were moves designed to make Jason Garrett more comfortable. Because people could say what they want about Daniel Jones, and, and you've said it, and it you're right, it's a huge year as far as Daniel Jones goes. But those moves were made for Jason Garrett. And I know I am a crazy Reddit conspiracy theory guy when it comes to Jason <laughs> Garrett. It's well-documented in this space. It's well-documented here. But I, I just think those were Jason Garrett moves. We gave Jason Garrett... Uh, a tight end that I think is is comforting to him. Like, Engram is not a traditional type of tight end, and Caden Smith kind of is, but he's probably not good enough. So they bring in Rudolph to be, you know, the what we, we keep hearing about is, like, the Jason Witten for Jason Garrett. And then we get – also we get Jason Garrett's offense is, like, guy who takes the top off, which Slayton was just not good enough to be that guy for the team last year. So – hopefully that makes our offense and then of course obviously too we get saquon back so i think that makes us good enough um, to to be potentially exciting i think that helps jason garrett if it helps jason garrett i don't want to help jason garrett but if it does help him it will help daniel jones inevitably um and i just like some of the things they're going to be able to do like i think that to having somebody who could take the top off the uh, opposing defenses does open up some of these crossing routes for Ingram where he had some drops because he's well covered or hears the footsteps or whatever. I think Rudolph helps with that a little bit. Um, You know, I know there are concerns about the offensive line and I, I get them, but you know, I mean, I also feel like for whatever non giants games I watched last season, there wasn't a game where where you're not hearing, like, this team has offensive line issues. Every team. Like, th- like talk about guys that are hard to come by. It's yeah. really hard to find a 300-pounder who's quick and agile and good at moving backwards instead of forwards. Like, those are tough guys to find. Yeah. So, yeah, every team has some issues along the offensive line. So, what are teams doing to scheme them up? And, again, that's something where I think Jason Garrett has a real weakness. But – if we have some weapons that make Garrett a little bit more comfortable, I think he'll be a little bit better of a coach, and that'll make us a little bit better. And and we also we got another corner, and I think that, you know, we lost Tomlinson, which sucks, but we had we still have a really stout defensive line. We don't have much of a pass rush, but we have a really awesome secondary. So, yeah, I, think I mean, we there's don't have the edge exciting. rushers,
1: but we still have the draft too. They could get a guy there. Yeah, um, they have some interesting you know, guys who can potentially like apply some pressure, you know what I mean? Like they can, um, I I'm, I'm, I'm definitely moving more into the, like, I'm looking for, I, they did enough for me that I'm now looking forward to the season, Yeah. you know, like, I agree. um, I'm excited for it to start. Like I like the pieces, the way they all fit. It's a nice little jigsaw puzzle. Like they got every guy seems to be in the right role on offense. Um, the offensive line is my big concern. I would actually attack the offensive line in the draft. Like, I do think they should get another guy in there, although they did add somebody. I forget. They added a guard who, I think, um, who was a starter for the Texans last year.
0: Yeah, and he's played for—who uh, was it? He went to Tennessee, and, ten, and and the head coach at the time, I think, is our linebacker's coach now.
1: right um i forget the guy's name but anyway (laughs) he's like he's been a starter in the nfl a lot so like we needed somebody like that um and you know it's a huge year for daniel jones but i still think there's there's the potential there you know i was listening to like the uh again i was saying the athletic football show with uh and and what mate who's mike tice's what son
0: yeah
1: yeah um and they're good and you know it's funny though they were like They were really concerned about the offensive line, but they 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 liked a lot of the things. But they were like, you know, it all is going to come down to Daniel Jones and who knows. And like. Fine, you know what I mean? Like, good. Like, let's find out what what Daniel Jones is all about. And one of the other things they were saying I thought was funny is like he was like he's like say Nate Tice was saying he thinks there's going to be some games where the Giants look great and look super awesome and then they're going to but they're you know they're going to be up and down like but i'm like you know man this is where like there's a difference between i'm an analyst and i'm a fan you know like i was like awesome right <laughs> i might turn on a giants game and they will look
0: great right right <laughs>
1: <laughs> like there will be one there'll be a game where i like it's fun to watch like good yeah <laughs> I don't, they don't need to win the freaking Super Bowl. Like turn on one. If I could have a Sunday this year where I turn on the giants and the offense looks great. Right. Oh man. Like great. And, that sounds great.
0: And the thing about football too, that like, it's again, it's crazy if you're an analyst of the game that you don't even understand a really awesome giants, offensive performance on a Sunday will carry me to Thursday. Like you right. get me through <laughs> the Mondays and the surprising right. terrible Tuesdays. And like, right. you know, it'll carry me. It'll
1: get me through meetings and work calls and yeah, no, it's true. Right. On the backs of that, those explosive touchdowns, I will be, I'll be like a crowd surfing through the week.
0: Right. (laughs) Right. And I do think where, where judge's strength is, is that he's really a good, like, I actually thought that I agree with you, but I also thought what, what Nate Tice said was correct. Like, I do think that that's a, Pretty reasonable expectation for what the Giants season is going to be. Like flashes of, like, wow, and then, like, ugh, which is sort of a Giants thing anyway, yeah. like across, you know, coaches and whatever. But I do think that Judge is well suited to keep the valleys from getting too low. Like, I think there will be a baseline of performance with Joe Judge that, like, even our stinkers. Or I guess, like, we might put up a stinker, but we'll also be able to force the other team into a stinker. And we might lose, but it'll be both sides are ugly.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just was, like, where where we've been as Giants fans, where this team has been, where the organization has been, like, I'm just, like, you know, if you were exiting free agency and, you got, and you're telling me that they're going to look great some games and, hey, the, a lot of pressure's on Daniel Jones, but, like, he has what he needs now to maybe be good and they were both excited about the defense and I am too. I mean, Patrick Graham coming back is huge. Like, I think the defense is going to be pretty good. I'm like, okay. Like, Hey, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is good. Like it could be, it's been a lot worse. It's at least, you know, something, you know, they're. I mean, look, it could go out there and if Daniel Jones is terrible, we're in a world of hurt, you know? And if judge can't make enough of a difference and Garrett's a disaster, like it's going to, going to be painful, but, at least they did put them they did enough here to put themselves in a position where like we can learn all that and there's some decent upside I think.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I actually too. I would not be upset if we just took another skill guy or receiver at the 11th pick.
1: Yeah, me neither.
0: Like get another guy. I also just think right like the defense is fairly fortified. I don't think they're any edge rushers in this draft that are like real game changers for a defense. So I don't think that we would really need to reach for an edge guy unless like we're really confident in one. And like, I get what you're saying with the offensive line. I don't disagree with that entirely, but I also sort of feel like there's too much work there to be done to like really fix it. But like, we already have an awesome group of skill guys. So just add one more weapon to that and make it so much harder to cover us and hopefully there's enough weaponry on the field that it's like generating too much of a pass rush is too hard and we can get the ball out quickly and some of these guys will be off to the races. Like I just think that, that there's like a way to use that, whereas like, you know, if we draft like a guy at guard who's like might contribute right away, like that would be fine. But I don't think yeah. that fixes the O-line, whereas like you add another weapon and it's just – we're scary. Right,
1: right. There could be a tackle. Like I've heard, this is a pretty good. I mean, I don't. You know, I'm not a college football guy, so I don't. I've heard there's some good tackles in the draft, and like, I wouldn't mind another tackle, so that we're not like, you know, dependent on Pert being good. Like, I'm not totally sold that he's going to be a good player. Yeah. Um. So that would be nice. But yeah, I hear you.
0: We we got about like five minutes left. Do we want to talk about uh? That tone-deaf John Mara interview, or or do you want to move on to uh, to uh, how sports writers today have been shaped by their predecessors?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I'll Leave it to you. What do you do? You want to do? You want to scream at John Mara? <laughs> uh,
0: yes, I do. But we could do that at any point. And I thought that was a really good topic you brought up. It'd be a really okay. good way to close the show.
1: Sure. Um, well, what I was saying uh, or thinking about, and it's funny because we were just talking about the uh, um, athletic. And guys like Mays, and, you know, it's just so funny the way sports writing um, has evolved that this like really in the know, in the weeds, X's and O's style has kind of um, won the day, you know. And like I think when you and I were, you know, I'm 40, you're soon to be 40, I'm assuming, Um when we were in our formative years, right? Like Bill Simmons kind of came on the scene when we were in what, high school, college?
0: College, yeah.
1: Like changed sports media, I think, fair to say. Like it had this kind of bloggy style that he had and like very conversational and funny and like was like, here's how we talk about sports in the bar, right? And he since had yeah, this like empire. But and I would have guessed, like to me, he came in and changed sports writing in this way that like nobody really had. And then you had Deadspin and Will Leach and a lot of people who wrote like that. Um, Drew Magary, that guy, you know, like, it was this more, like, reverent, funny, like... And... But then, when he did Grantland, he had Zach Lowe. And Zach Lowe was funny also, but, like, really in the weeds, you know? Like, the X's and O's. He did those great, like, clips and gifs where he would really show something and call that out. And, like, I think when you were... Like, where we sit now... The Bill Simmons style is gone and everybody is Zach Lowe, you know, like that is so in like in the weeds on the cap or, you know, it's like yeah. in the weeds on the X's and O's front. Like there's no like funny and some part sometimes and it's great. And I think people want that insight. But like there is part of me that like wishes misses that like Friday picks column, you know, like it was fun.
0: <laughs> Big time. I really do. I, I think you're right. Like I just think that. So I, I also before I guess before I get my opinion on this, I wanna, because I know that your your diet of Bill Simmons is cut down to almost nothing at this point. Is that correct? Is am I assuming that yes. right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So like, what what got you off the Bill Simmons train?
1: I don't know. It's probably what I'm saying. Like it's start. You know, it started to feel like empty. Like he doesn't really know what he's talking about. He's just winging it. Like he's not really watching the way those guys are. And also he just doesn't write anymore. And I don't like him as a podcaster. Um, although I think if you actually now look at his career, like he's going to have, he's had a bigger influence on this medium you and I are indulging in right now than he did does on sports writing, you know, like, yeah. Um, although, and cause part of me like misses some people like him in sports writing. Like, everybody is a GM now. And like in the most annoying way, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like everything is like getting draft picks or paying a guy less than what he, you know what I mean? Like accumulating assets and what, (laughs) like I was listening to these guys rave about the Colts GM who is great and has done a great job. Right. But it's like the way he's accumulated all these assets and he's still got salary cap room and draft picks. And it's like, and and nothing. What have right. the Colts done? They just had they just traded for Carson Wentz. Like right. who's excited to watch him this year? Like <laughs> and and they're set up well, and maybe they're going to have a great run. But like, you know, how about the t- Jason Licht down in Tampa Bay? Like isn't that you know like what is the Colts? It's like this game more than just like. Uh, winning is the, is the thing you're trying to do and not that, and I like the Colts guy and he seems really smart but like it does seem to me like he's a little overly conservative where it's like he's look at some point that team's gotta like win a Super Bowl or be a contender like they've just been okay
0: absolutely and it's why you know not to jump back to basketball but like with the Knicks it's like anything where it's like at, at this stage of the Knicks process or rebuild or whatever you want to call it, like, I don't want picks anymore. I don't care about picks. Picks don't do – like, they're great in theory, but I want players, like, real-life humans that will be on the court playing basketball for the team that make the team better. Not, like, like you're saying, assets and futures.
1: Yeah. Just even about, the, the like, the world of sports somehow. It's like, that has all been great, and, like, it is – like, I think all these outlets are doing a really great job, like the athletic and – you know, like Macri does a great job, but it's like there is part of me that misses just this like fun, funny, like you don't have to dive into it. You know, I mean? even even though i t- in the same breath, I was saying like it's sort of I got turned off by Bill Simmons, maybe because he wasn't perfect. He seemed more like this guy's just watching TV once a week and telling you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I don't know.
0: Well, I, I, yeah, I just think. By the way, we're in bonus time already. We're just in bonus time. We're bonusing. Okay. We're bonusing, Brian. <laughs> uh, like, I think that, um, I, because I still listen to Simmons pretty regularly. I he not I you know I'll usually look at the description of the episode and if it sounds interesting I'll listen and if it doesn't, I'll just delete it from my phone. But I think what he's what he always was like. I think he – because the thing is, like, yeah, he brought Zach Lowe to Grantland and Bill Barnwell, and then by extension, like, Robert Mays and, like, those. That's kind of the first wave of the kind of writer that you're talking about, right? Yeah. And I I agree, and I and I do – I like those guys, and they have their place, but I wouldn't call their writing vegetables exactly – they're not vegetables, but I guess they are, right? They're just like a delicious salad, as like a story. Right, of. right. Not like, a, you know, just a healthy salad with no dressing type of vegetables, but they're like still a salad to a degree. And what I think Simmons used to do really well, and, I, I you know, I agree with you. There, there's some of it he's sort of lost touch with or whatever, but he still does fairly well is he kind of takes the nerdery of it and makes it taste a little less like vegetables. Like when he's able to take a Zach Lowe piece or a Bill Barnwell piece and sort of paraphrase it and put his own spin on it, it takes it and it it makes it a different kind of accessible. And so in that way, I still think he has that talent and that's kind of been his influence is like, hey, look at these guys. What they're saying is important. But it's still also really important to have people out there who are able to just like – Put that in plain English for those of us who don't really have the time in our lives to digest, like, a 25-minute read of Zach Lowe or Bill Barnwell, you know?
1: Yeah. No, I think – and I think, though, it's funny because, like, I think where now his influence is bigger is, like, sports talk. Yeah. And, like, I would listen to Bill Simmons and everybody in his podcast World – over sports radio like over the the fan at this point Um, you know it's so elevated it's like taking that and made it better yeah and smarter and funnier and like that's where now he's kind of had a bigger impact but it's amazing to me how few sports writers there are out there with his style which was once like the dominant style right like it 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 sort of felt like it was taking over and it's all that, that other that other thing
0: Yeah. And that is weird. I don't know. What is that you think? Like, is it, is it just people wanting to, like, I guess too, you used to, you either read sports writers or you listen to guys on talk radio and they're typically going to be more informed than the average fan because they just have better access than we do. And so they have like better information and guys like Zach Lowe and Bill Barnwell are bringing like the information directly to the people so that we can read that stuff. And then we can like become our own type of GMs because suddenly we have that information that typically used to kind of be exclusive to other people.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just like, I think it is people just want, there's so much competition for eyeballs and it's, they're really, maybe they figured that like, there's bar stool or whatever for <laughs> the casuals. And then like, if you want to build an audience, like you got to get those deep, crazy sports fans there. The, maybe they're the people that really drive engagement, like, and, and that's what they've figured out or, and I think there's just this, like, you now feel silly maybe writing just in a fun way. Like, I don't, you know, like you sort of, it does feel like, like I found when I used to try to write, like you do feel like I, I can't write anything. Like I haven't done that kind of, you know what I mean? Maybe what I know was like baloney, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, sometimes I'm breaking down the Knicks, I know I don't know the game the way that, like, a Zach Lowe does, and you then you feel silly saying anything. Yeah. Um, and they've sort of crowded out people who maybe just want to talk about the game sports in a different way.
0: You know what I feel like doesn't exist anymore, and I wish still did, as, like, blogs? But, like... Like, I sort of, you know, it's funny because he's just such just like, becomes such a disgrace. But you and I are both former dish heads. Daily Dish, Andrew Sullivan's former blog. Like, that was so perfect to me because it really incorporated, it was, like, Twitter crossed with, it was everything you needed. Because it was, like, however many posts he did a day. I mean, it was a lot. Like, let's say it was, like, 20 posts a day, right? Yeah. Like, on average. You know, like... 10 of them were probably took me less than two minutes to read. And maybe like of those 10, like five to seven took less than a minute to read. And then there were others of varying length. Some were like juicy, like I'm saving that one for the toilet or the train. Like some, <laughs> some were for like, you know, I'm standing in line somewhere and they were like varying lengths. And he was like constantly aggregating the best or most interesting information out there and giving his own spin like, I would really love for that to come back both in, like, news form, like Andrew Sullivan would doing. But, in Spike, I never really had a guy like that who was, like, the sports equivalent where it was, like, you're my source. You're the person I trust. And I know you're pulling all the best information like a Zach Lowe article, a Bill Barnwell article. Like, that's what I – that's a void that I wish someone would fill. I would fill it if I had talent like that. Right. I don't – so I would rather someone talk. I think you should fill it, Brian actually. So I here think, we are. We're I think you're this. talented enough to do that.
1: I don't think so. I, I can't write anymore. <laughs> it's dead. It's, it's the, I want you I to turn do it. to the keyboard and nothing happens.
0: <laughs> <laughs> because I think you would pull you would aggregate well and then you don't have to write as much because right. you' just like pull the quote and then give like a Brian singer and you know <laughs> the
1: zingers the zingers are gone There's no zingers. <laughs> well on that note somebody should bring the funny back to sports writing is all i'm saying
0: yeah i agree and here we are that's yeah. what the giants among men are that's right that is what we are for better or for worse brian right <laughs> all right uh anything else for today's show no
1: i think i got to run i think i hear my family um stampeding up the stairs
0: oh all right well it's exciting <laughs> Good luck with that. Alrighty. We'll see everybody next week.